Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Braden Fox, who is a firefighter for the city of Toronto in Canada. He's been doing that for almost five years now, and before that, he spent six years as a volunteer firefighter on Easter Island. And we're going to talk today uh, about a little bit about what it's like to be a firefighter in terms of the physical demands and how um, this, the, he's also, Braden is also a student of the Alexander Technique and how that has, um, how the technique has helped him in his work life. Uh, Braden, welcome to the show. Thanks, Robert. Good morning. Well, good morning. It's good talking to you uh, on Skype. We, Braden is, is a student of mine, and I've seen him many times, but we've never we've never talked on Skype before. Um, Braden, could you could you give our listeners your short description or definition of the Alexander technique? Um, yeah, I'll do my best. It's a question that has come up before, and I found surprisingly difficult to answer but the uh the simplest way that i can put it to friends and colleagues when they ask what is this alexander technique that you've been practicing or trying out is a method of using your your own mind with some assistance from your alexander technique teacher to to use your body in a more harmonious or simple fashion or as you've told me, sort of Alexander's uh, famous quote, if you will, that you need to get out of your own way. So when I when I try to explain it to my friends, I, I tell them that it's a matter of learning how to subtly use ideas, maybe in your subconscious mind, and turning those into a, a physical change in oh. your everyday everyday life. Right. Okay, that's good. And uh, I'd like to begin our main part of our interview with a little description by you on what it's like to be a firefighter. Um, I know that um, from your an email you sent me just uh, the day before this interview that you had just finished a 36-hour shift. And I assume that's a fairly normal shift for you? Uh, it, the 36-hour tours are, are less common. So but, more uh, like 24 hours? Yeah. Or? In the city of Toronto and many other large municipalities in North America, to the best of my knowledge, use a 24-hour shift system. Mm -hmm. but just by I, virtue of the fact that they want constant staffing. They expect the same number of firefighters staffing fire stations and fire trucks 24-7 every mm -hmm. day of the year. Right. And there is no easy way to spread that manpower out and have mm -hmm. that staffing remain the same. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, maybe you could just um, say a little bit about what you have to do when there's a call into the station that for you to go to a fire. What, what, what do you have to do yourself at that point? Um, well, Obviously, uh, just like in a movie or TV show, you can see what happens initially is that there's a, a very loud alarm that actually sounds throughout the station, mm -hmm. alerting all the firefighters who work there that there's an emergency. 
and that alarm is typically followed by a brief description from the dispatch. So our communication center will then describe very briefly and sometimes very inaccurately based on the caller's reports, mm-hmm. what type of emergency you're responding to. Mm-hmm. So they may give you the address followed by, you know, reports of a fire or just alarms mm-hmm. or a medical emergency of some sort. So mm-hmm. depending on the position you're riding on the truck, we rotate through who drives the apparatus as well. Mm-hmm. So if I'm driving the vehicle, the first stop is the floor watch room where you acknowledge the emergency dispatch. Mm-hmm. You receive paperwork from a printout confirming the address and the nature of the emergency. And then you double check the map to make absolutely certain you know exactly where you're going mm-hmm. before you board the truck. Because as a driver, that's solely your responsibility to get the crew to the scene. Right. If you're riding on the back of the truck, which is where I spend about two-thirds or three-quarters of my shifts as a junior firefighter, you get to the back of the truck as quickly as possible and you put on all of your equipment. And that equipment's pretty heavy and bulky, right? Uh, fairly, yes. It's uh, by nature designed to protect you as best as possible from extremely adverse conditions and right. high heat. Right. So it has to be quite thick and it's a three-layered system that we use on our suits. So. Mm-hmm. You're wearing steel toe and shank boots, you know, three-layered bunker pants, as they're called, mm-hmm. internal gear or bunker gear, your coat, and then an assembly of tools such as radio, flashlight, whatever other small tools each firefighter carries individually, your gloves, your helmet, and then, of course, your SCBA, your self-contained breathing apparatus, the air pack that you see firefighters wearing. Right, and what is all that weigh, roughly? I believe the... General equipment that we just described is in or around 80 pounds. It depends a little bit on the models, of course, and principally the size of the air cylinders that the department uses. We recently mm-hmm. moved up to a slightly larger size cylinder, mm-hmm. carry more air to stay inside a fire longer. Mm-hmm. So between 80 and 100 pounds, but uh, that does not include the hand tools or the hose that you're required to carry once you arrive on scene, right. which could easily add another 40 to 60 pounds. So that's a lot of weight. And a lot of layers of clothing, and even if um, the way you've described it to me, we've talked during lessons, uh, you might not, when you get to the fire scene, you might be someone who's assigned to sort of be ready to go into the building or kind of be in a perimeter around the fire. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, very, very common that you end up either staging as they call it Mm -hmm. which is where the initial crews may have made entry into the structure Mm -hmm. they may be fighting the fire or conducting ventilation search and rescue Mm -hmm. and the additional crews that are as of yet perhaps not needed Mm -hmm. or they are waiting to go in and replace the first arriving crews when their air runs out right you are staging so you are quite literally standing around very nearby the structure right so with all that equipment on and you're ready to go well, I that's what I wanted to mention. I mean, you're you're standing around, but you are carrying a very heavy weight. And it, Toronto has some pretty hot summers and some pretty cold winters, right? <laughs> it, indeed. And I could imagine it's, it's hard to know which would be better in that situation. Um, you could be sweltering in there, right, in that outfit. Yeah. And Or you could be... Well, I guess you wouldn't be freezing, but it'd be pretty cold. So the uh, the key in the winter is to get into the fire. <laughs> As the, the senior fi- veteran firefighters would tell you, it's uh, 
it's always better to be inside in the winter because once you're wet, it uh, it's very, very difficult to get warm again. Right. Or it could be raining really hard, right? That's the other Absolutely. another issue. So I guess the point I wanted to make is that even if you're not uh, doing the dramatic, um, you know, classic movie scene of climbing a ladder and pulling babies out kind of thing, uh, <laughs> e even the um, uh, the sort of relatively serene being ready part is not all that easy. And, and not, it's pretty challenging in terms of just just doing that, right? It can be, and okay. as you noted, particularly depending on the weather. Right. So, and of course, there are times when you have to climb ladders and and expose yourself to quite a bit of danger and maneuver around. I assume in situations where you can't always see things very well, you're not exactly sure what you're getting into, that sort of thing. Yeah. The. Uh... The standard, I would say, in a, in a structure fire, that mm -hmm. is to say if you've entered a, a home or even an apartment, is uh, the expectation is that there is zero visibility in the truest sense that right. uh, the smoke normally, if a fire has been well involved, if it has grown to any appreciable extent, is it's complete blackout conditions. You, you may as well have your eyes closed when you go in. So mm -hmm. contrary to what you may see in, in media, portrayals of what firefighting looks like, uh, the reality is that 95% of the time we're actually crawling on our hands and knees and you're doing everything through touch and oh, hearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're mm -hmm. padding around looking for victims or windows or anything else or fire for that matter. Right. And uh, at, at some point you may have to actually carry someone down a ladder, right? It's a, it's a possibility. Which is, could be uh, another 100, 150, 200 pounds on top of all your other uh, equipment. Yeah. So I, 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 guess I guess what I'm getting at here is that the physical demands are, are really quite, uh, quite daunting. And especially combined with the 24-hour shift situation where you might be you know, almost a day into the the work and then suddenly you have a fire and have to do all these things having kind of been on the go for a good part of that previous almost day-long period. Potentially. Potentially, yes. yeah. And uh, it certainly seems that the, the vast majority of serious fires that we participate in uh, certainly do seem to happen in those 20-something hour um, just by nature of of fire, and right? They they right. go undetected and they tend to grow larger and they tend to go unnoticed for longer periods of time in the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. So we, we shift change at about six in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I would say many of those serious bad fires happen between the hours of midnight and five or six in the morning. When you've been up up for almost Four, a day, yeah, 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 right. So. Um, uh, just for our listeners, uh, I mean, I, I can I can attest to the fact that Braden is a pretty strong, big guy. Um, he's he's uh, and but um, with all even with all that strength, um, I think you had some issues around uh, just physical uh, issues around doing the work that the Alexander technique has helped with. Is that is that correct? 
Yeah, for sure. I and have, uh, maybe you could say a bit about how, what, what are some specific examples of how uh, really this very subtle um, <coughs> technique has helped you do these quite, um, you know, heavy-duty physical actions uh, more efficiently. Um, I think that one of the the most important things that it's helped me with, like I, I've hurt myself a couple of times at work, not a, not too seriously, thankfully, um, mm -hmm. compared to many other injuries that coworkers have sustained. But uh, you know, falling down the staircase in a fire, or or tweaking a muscle, trying to trying to extract a patient from a you know a very inconvenient location, a very right. difficult access area, but, and uh, and with no light, right, or very yeah. very little or no light, yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, sort of the nagging injuries or pain that I've had, discomfort in my back, I've definitely found a, a big, big improvement, particularly since beginning the Alexander Technique lessons on a regular basis mm -hmm. and trying to practice some of the, the homework, as my, as my brother has called it, the constructive rest at home, mm -hmm. is that during those periods, which make up the bulk of the time that are a little bit more mundane, for example, riding in the truck, whether mm -hmm. it's on the way to or from an emergency or mm -hmm. or training or anything else for that matter, even something as simple as climbing the staircase in the fire hall, mm -hmm. is uh, I found that I suppose I've relieved a lot of the tension or the extra work that my body was doing that was aggravating that pain or that injury, mm -hmm. so that something as simple as sitting in a seat, mm -hmm. maybe not the most ergonomic or best set up seat in a fire truck, is that it's more comfortable because I'm not doing it in a way that's exacerbating a problem I already have. Right. And how about the actual more dramatic stuff like climbing a ladder or crawling around in the dark and the smoke and stuff like that? Have you found that the technique has helped you with that as well? It, uh, to be completely honest, it's, it's hard to say because in, as you can imagine in the, uh, the heat of the moment, so uh -huh. to say, yeah. it's uh, you're intensely focused on what you're doing, and mm -hmm. I'm certainly not actively thinking about anything else, including mm -hmm. the Alexander technique. But the only uh, evidence I'd have to support the fact that it is indeed helping me, you know, in, in every aspect, including during emergency situations, is that I don't have nearly the pain or discomfort that I did even, you know, one or, or two years ago. So, mm -hmm. and, and I had tried other, other methods, you know, between physiotherapy and RMT and Cairo and mm -hmm. several different routes that I'd taken that did help short term, but they didn't seem to be addressing the root cause or the fundamental issue, mm -hmm. which I believe is sort of how I was using my body in the first place. Right. So when you're in, when you're right in, in the heat of the action, so to speak, You've got to be totally focused on your environment, on what the situation you're in is. And it would be a bit much, I think, to expect someone to use a direction, carve out. <laughs> I mean, in theory, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it's possible in theory, but um, I, I think that's really understandable. So the main benefits... Uh, the, or the main times that you use the work consciously would be these less uh, dramatic moments, riding in the truck or waiting, uh, you know, as a 
poten potentially to go into a fire or as you say climbing stairs in the firehouse and i and it and i i think i should mention that in addition firefighters um don't just fight fires or go to fires that among other things they need to do uh during these long shifts is they have to do all the cooking and all the cleaning in the firehouse right you don't have maids that come in and clean the toilets right <laughs> that's right it's uh <laughs> you guys do typically it. the junior firefighters assignment right <laughs> but, uh, yeah there's uh there's a very organized and disciplined schedule that everything revolves around right. inside the fire station and that definitely includes the cooking cleaning and every other necessary part of a of a regular day anything you can imagine that you would do during a 24-hour period of your life basically mm -hmm. takes place as well inside a fire hall just right. within the confines of of those four walls and of course within the restrictions of absolutely anything could be dropped at a moment's notice when we have an alarm right so and everything I, I, is perpetually I, yeah. interrupted but it's uh nonetheless a very organized and and good system it, yeah. it works surprisingly well and I don't know whether this is true in Toronto, but here in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, I've uh, occasionally seen firefighters at the supermarket buying their the food for the house. Do you guys go out shopping, or how do you how does <laughs> how does the food actually get there? Um, yeah, we we do. It's uh -huh. uh, often a contentious topic because there's some misperceptions, I think, perhaps in the public eye, that if you see firefighters out shopping, that they are for some reason, unavailable to attend other emergencies or that they're taking themselves out of service, as we would call it, to do something else. But the fact is, during that period of 24 hours, we are always in service and always available. And we do go and shop. Uh, we divide those duties among the different trucks and firefighters in the station. But mm -hmm. early in the morning, there is always a shopping run that is done. And the firefighters are walking to the grocery store. They have their radios on. They've informed the communications board that they are available in district on air. So we're always within our first run area. And we do often get calls while we're out, whether it's en route to training or or to the grocery store or on our way back from a call. The radio is always available. So we're mm -hmm. then dispatched from wherever we happen to be. And often uh, we're actually closer to the emergency than we would have been had we actually been sitting in our station waiting for the call. Right, but uh, right. shopping is is an important part of it, and as is cooking and eating in the fire hall. Right. So I, I guess the point I want to make is that these 24-hour shifts, um, you're never off duty. Correct. Or a 36-hour shift, you're never off duty. Yeah. And I think I don't know for someone like me who is likes their after lunch naps and <laughs> you know get plenty of sleep on a regular basis that that would be a very challenging thing to deal with just on on its own apart from all of the physical demands of the job yeah so. I, I often think that one of the uh the most difficult things that the firefighters actually try to deal with through their career depending greatly on you know how busy the company you work at is is sleep deprivation because it's mm, mm -hmm. sort of an ever constant thing. And it, don't, don't get me wrong, I, I think that the schedule is in a way as good as it possibly can be. And we are given ample periods of rest in between stretches of busy shifts so that 
you know, the firefighter and your body can recover. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's by no means a, a complaint on my part, but it is definitely one of the challenges that I think all firefighters and all shift workers for that matter, especially mm-hmm. including police officers and paramedics, they're all dealing with to a certain extent is the fact that you're, uh, you're forcing yourself to be awake during times that the human body is very likely not designed or evolved to, uh, to be awake and to be functioning at. And do you, do you feel that um, what you've learned with the Alexander Technique has helped you deal with that a little better than you might otherwise? Do you have any sense of that? Um, I, th- I think so, yeah. I've uh, I mentioned to you before that when lying down to go to sleep, I'm actually using often uh, directions in bed, you know, when I'm right. in a horizontal position, and right. it helps to, to relax my body and prepare me for sleep so I, I'd say so yeah yeah and it, it doesn't hurt to be going to sleep without that pain and discomfort in your back which yeah. was a, a barrier to rest before for right sure. right so is there anything else that you'd like to add we're, we're kind of come running out of time but is there anything you haven't mentioned that you would like to to say before we start stop um, yes yeah, so a couple of things if you don't mind sure. actually yeah. uh, the first one is I don't believe I ever actually answered your first question, which is, what is it like being a firefighter? And I could tell you off the top of my head, it's probably the most rewarding career that I ever could have imagined. It was a childhood dream come true, and it really is an honor and a pleasure to to serve the community that I grew up in. Uh So that's the short answer to what it's like being a firefighter. It's it's an absolute pleasure, and it's it's a job that I hold tremendous respect for. And I I feel really, really grateful to have the opportunity. And the second thing doesn't really have anything to do with our interview per se, but uh, I feel that I can't help but mention it, it being uh, September 11th today. Mm. It's an important anniversary for firefighters and many other people alike. And I just wanted to take a really brief moment to reflect and remember what happened 16 years ago and, uh, you know, the tremendous work that the Fire Department of New York did on that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I remember uh, being in Toronto shortly after September 11th, and I noticed that all the fire trucks were flying a little American flags on them. Yeah. Do you uh, you probably weren't there then? That was you that was I, before you were. Yeah. I was living in Toronto, but I right. was uh, yeah. I was pretty young. I believe I was 17 actually. Right. So. But you remember I, I that as well? They, they they all had little American flags on there. I do, I do, yeah. yeah. And, uh, even to this day, at some fire halls as mm-hmm. far away as Toronto, mm-hmm. um, you'll often find small vases of flowers and tokens of appreciation that people leave on a on the anniversary, right. which means a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Brayden, thank you so much for uh, for doing this interview. My my, my guest has been Brayden Fox a firefighter in the city of Toronto, Canada. He's been doing that for almost five years. And before that, he spent six years as a volunteer firefighter on Easter Island. Braden, thank you so much for for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks very much, Robert.